Well, good morning, church family, and we're so glad to get to worship together here with you. I'm Randy. I'm the lead minister here at the church, and um, it's such a meaningful song, and it was written by our staff here at Windsor. Uh, Lord, we seek you for the city, and, uh, and there's just that beautiful phrase, uh, open up, open, open our eyes, open our eyes, open our eyes that we may see the wonderful things written in your word. Open our eyes that we may see the wonderful people that you've put in our path so that we can share the most treasured, treasured gospel message. And uh, I know we have uh, guests here at the church each week. I'm going to be in the uh, fireside room um, after services. I'd love to meet with you and pray with you. And for those who are here, uh, you may be wondering, you know, so what is this church about? What's God calling this church to be? Where are you all going? Who are you? And so um, I'm glad you're here this Sunday because we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that is very clear from the Lord about who He has called us to be and where He wants us to go and what He wants us to be about. And that's really what matters most, what God wants. So I would like to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament book of Acts. New Testament book of Acts. You'll find that on page 918. We're going to be in Acts chapter 10 this morning. We're in a teaching series over the book of Acts. And so as a part of our worship time, we just have a, we just have a large group Bible study. And that's what this is now. And uh, we've been studying through this wonderful history of the origins of Christianity and the origins of the church. And we've got a passage of Scripture that is so rich um, this morning, Acts chapter 10, and I'm going to be reading, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, I'm going to read the first 16 verses, Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, and that's about three in the afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, that's noon, to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there a voice came to him. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. 
But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. This is God's word. It was over 20 years ago that during the week here at church, an African-American male came. He was looking for a church home. I was visiting with him. We were having a delightful spiritual conversation. And at the conclusion of our time together, I said, well, I wish that you would come to our services on Sunday. He said, well, I don't know if I can, Pastor. I said, well, how, why not? He said, well, my girlfriend is white. I said, friend, my friend, we only allow two types of people here, those that God loves and those that Christ died for. And I assure you that you and your girlfriend both qualify along with everybody else at Windsor Road Christian Church. And I was really hoping to see them, um, but I didn't, I didn't see them the next Sunday, and I didn't see them the next Sunday after that. And, and I just got to thinking, you know, well, so what is it like you know, to love God and to want to know God and to pray regularly and to live piously and to give generously and to, to want to participate actively and to want to belong? And yet, to have this nagging, gnawing feeling that you are on the outside looking in, and there must be more, and you want in, but you don't know how to get in, and you're not sure if you ever will. And some of you have felt that. For some of you, that's been your experience. This was Cornelius' experience. Cornelius, a respected Roman officer who commanded a hundred soldiers in Caesarea, which was a military outpost of up to 3,000 soldiers for the empire. It's along the Mediterranean Sea. It's in the northern part of Israel. Luke says that Cornelius was a respected soldier, a pious, devout Man, a God-fearer, he says. He had a heart for God with all his family. So he's a, he's a family man, and he's generous with money. He's a man of prayer. One commentator in my research this week said, Cornelius was as Jewish as a Gentile could be without ceasing to be a Gentile. I mean, he had seen through the shallow nature of the Roman religions and the idol worship and the emperor worship, and, and he discovered in the Hebrew Scriptures answers to the big questions that we still ask. 
Questions like, who is God? And who am I? And why am I here? And what is my purpose? And where am I going? And Cornelius had all of the material possessions he could ever want. He had attained a status of rank in his profession. He was in a remarkable city as a part of a world empire. But he longed for a better empire. And he wasn't sure what that was or what that looked like. And he wanted help. And he was looking for help. And help came. God responded. Verse 3 says that an angel of God appeared to him, Cornelius. And this rough, gritty Roman centurion, it's a, he, he saw this angel and I mean he was in terror. And this angel talks to Cornelius like he's the Virgin Mary. Greetings, you who are highly favored. I mean, that's the tone here, which is astounding because he's Roman. He's a Gentile. He's a centurion. He's not of the race of Israel. And yet God is paying attention to him. And God's paying attention to you too. God sees you where you are. He knows what you're going through. He's interested. You matter. Do you know that? You matter to God. Psalm 139, the psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And the answer is, you can't. You can't. God heard every prayer and witnessed every gift of Cornelius, and he wanted Cornelius to know that he mattered. And you know, he addresses him, Cornelius, and you know, Cornelius, what is it, Lord? Now, what are you expecting to hear next? What's the reader expecting to hear? What is it, Lord? And the answer's going to come, right? That angel's going to quote John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him, Cornelius, should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what we're going to hear next. The gospel is going to be presented by an angel from heaven and Cornelius is going to hear it. That's what we're expecting. That's not quite what happened. Cornelius, what is it? The angel says, very next thing, go get Peter. Bye. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. What was that about? Well, the story goes on. We're in suspense. Learn to live with suspense. About 30 miles or so away from Caesarea, in a town called Joppa, along the Mediterranean Sea, Simon Peter is staying with Simon the Tanner. Okay? Now, Simon the Tanner is Jewish, but he's marginalized. He's a marginalized Jew. He's kind of an outsider. Even, even on the inside of Israel, he's kind of an outsider because he's a tanner. What's a tanner? A tanner handles animal hides. A tanner prepares the leather, which means he's touching the skins from animal corpses, which means he's just perpetually unclean, and so he's not going to be welcome in the temple. 
So Peter is in Joppa because Peter's been preaching and performing signs and wonders. He healed this bedridden man named Aeneas. You can see that over in Acts chapter 9, verse 32. He raised Aeneas up from his bed. And then he was in Joppa because of a major miracle of restoring life to a woman named Tabitha. And so Peter's there, guest of Simon the Tanner. And it's about lunchtime. And so he goes up the stairs outside Simon's house and onto the roof. And it's kind of like an upstairs patio. It's flat. There's airflow. And it's noon. He's hungry. He's waiting for lunch. He's going to take a nap after lunch. That's what's going to happen because life's going to slow down. No, not today. Peter, while waiting and hungry, falls into a trance, and he has the most bizarre vision. Verse 11, Peter saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in that sheet were all sorts of animals there four-footed animals, reptiles, creatures, birds of the air. And Peter noticed that some of these animals were clean, ceremonially clean, and others of these animals were unclean. Some were kosher, some were not, but they were all lumped into one sheet descending from heaven. Now, let me just interrupt myself because what's this about clean and unclean foods? Well, there were in the Hebrew Scriptures, dietary restrictions uh, regarding what uh, Israel could and could not eat. And what's the rationale for that? I've tried to summarize it in just one sentence, and here it is. The Hebrew law limited Israel's diet to only a few of the animals that the godless nations around them ate as a reminder that Israel must be separate and holy. That's a one-sentence summary of what's behind the clean and unclean laws about animals. So it's not that Israel could not eat any of the animals that the nations surrounding them ate. It's that they couldn't eat some of them. And the reason why was a reminder or a sign that Israel, as God's people being surrounded by God, godless nations, they are to be separate and holy to God. That's what's behind the clean and unclean foods. But here there's this sheet. And there's, all of the animals are in there. And Peter, I mean, he's, you know, all he's known is the dietary law that's existed for centuries and centuries and centuries in the history of God's people. And having known just that, Peter then, in verse 13, hears the voice of Jesus speak. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. So Peter, who had said to Aeneas, rise from your bed. And Peter, who had said to Tabitha, rise from the dead, now is being told by Jesus, rise, rise, get up, kill and eat. And Peter is just like, okay, is this a test? The, 
this is a test, is it? This is, this is a temptation. I mean, I mean you, you surely don't expect me to do this. I mean, how could something declared unclean for, I mean, centuries and centuries and centuries be suddenly clean? I mean, that, that, just, that, that just doesn't work, Jesus. That would be... That would be like if God said to a conservative Baptist, here, have a beer. Right? Yeah. So there are a lot of Baptists in this section here because you're not laughing. So, right? Yeah, okay. I went to an Episcopal high school, sorry. And so, anyway, we really should have had the offering first. I know. Yeah. What am I thinking? I'm not really good at business. Well, nonetheless, verse 14 says, you know, by no means, Lord, by no means. <laughs> you know, I've never done this, and I'm not intended on so This is not the first time Peter's talked back to Jesus. And then the voice of Christ came to him again. Verse 15, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this whole event happened three times. Three times. And then the sheep went back to heaven. And, and verse 17 says that Peter was inwardly perplexed. You know? I don't get it. I, I don't get it. He, he, was, he just doesn't, he didn't understand what it was he'd experienced. And right then, the crew which Cornelius had sent from Caesarea arrived in Joppa. And they were looking for Peter. And so they go outside Simon the Tanner's property and, hello, Peter, hello, they're calling out for him. And just then, the Spirit you know, poked Peter, verse 19, said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them. Look, without hesitation, for I have sent them. Without hesitation, get off the roof. Now, what's going on here? What is this with a sheet? I, you know, well, well, let's talk about it. Think about it. So four corners of the sheet, four corners of the earth, north, south, east, west. Inside the sheet are swarms of animals, animals which represent people, Jewish people, Samaritan people, Ethiopian people, Roman people, kosher people, unkosher people, all the nations of the earth, all humanity for that matter, wrapped into one sheet. And some in that sheet were open to the gospel. But Peter's response, surely not, Lord. Can you imagine if his attitude had spread throughout the church? Large portions of the world would never know about Jesus. Uh, Cornelius is ripe fruit. He's just waiting for someone to open their mouth and speak the gospel. Who is that going to be? Right now in your life, who is that person that relationship that if all you've got to do is show up and share the story of Jesus, and if you would just do that, then you would be hearing their confession of faith and you'd be sloshing about in the baptistry. 
But instead, Peter is, well, it's noon, and I I take a nap. I just kind of yawn. It's not that he's been doing nothing. I mean, he did raise someone from the dead. We'll give him some credit for that. I get it. But Jesus said in Acts 1, 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. The Holy Spirit is come. Now rise, man. Pick up the pace. Keep up. That's what's going on here. King Jesus is on the move. And Samaritans are converting. And Ethiopian, Saul of Tarsus. And, and, you know, Peter's yawning. Get off the roof, man. Do you know who Peter reminds us of? Jonah. That's right, Jonah, just just the name, right? Peter's Hebrew name, Simon Bar-Jonah. Peter's Aramaic name reminds us of the Hebrew prophet Jonah. And as God commissioned Jonah to preach to non-Jews in Nineveh, who were ripe, he commissioned Peter to witness beyond Jerusalem to a non-Jew in Caesarea. And as Jonah was reluctant to receive God's call at Joppa, so Peter was hesitant to leave Joppa to preach. And as God intervened in Jonah's life with a threefold sign, the belly of the fish, so God intervened in Peter's life with a threefold sign, the heavenly sheep with animals. <laughs> See, Luke's point is that Jonah's God is Peter's God, and God wants to redeem repentant non-Jews even though his own messengers are hesitant, and they want to restrict who the true Israel is by race. And it's clear in Acts chapter 10 that God, and not passive yawning Peter, conceives of a new Israel, the people of God, which includes Gentiles on equal footing with the Jews. So, so God reveals his plan to Peter and Cornelius via their respective visions. But did you notice? Each received only a partial vision. A Hebrew Peter needs a Gentile Cornelius to figure out his part of the vision. And a Gentile Cornelius needs a Hebrew Peter to open his mouth and proclaim gospel truth. So these two from racially different worlds need one another. And God's vision will only become clear to both and to all when the different races come together in Christ. And if Peter stays on the roof, he'll never, ever figure out what his vision from heaven meant. He's got to get off the roof if he wants to know the full will of God. And if he doesn't get off that roof, he's going to be about as useful as a Frisbee on a roof. And if Cornelius doesn't send for Peter 
he may never ever be as receptive to hearing gospel truth. Neither will fully grasp God's will, his good, complete, perfect will, without the other. So Peter comes down off the roof, right? He says, I'm Peter. You know, why have you come? And they tell their story. And verse 23 says, so he invited them in to be his guests. So, so here you have a Jew and a Gentile in a tanner's home. Man, there's a, there's a multicultural, multi-ethnic church in the making right there. And two days later, they're in Caesarea. And verse 25 says that Peter entered Cornelius' house. He entered, that is, he crossed the threshold of Cornelius' home, his very Gentile home. That's huge. And when he gets into the house, it's a packed house because Cornelius has invited all of his friends and all of his family members. And I mean, they're just kind of, it is a standing room only place. Think about it. And then, look, Cornelius, once Peter enters the house, what does Cornelius do? Cornelius, verse 25, met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Cornelius, this Roman centurion who represents the world power now dominating and oppressing Israel, this Cornelius falls at Peter's feet before them all. And very quickly, Peter, you know, refuses to let Cornelius treat him like a god. And Peter refuses to treat this Gentile Cornelius like a dog. And in verse 28, Peter says, now I get it. Now I get it. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. (laughs) So it wasn't about animals. It's about people created in the image of God. I get it. And and verse 29, so I, you know, so here I am without hesitation or objection. Why does it say without hesitation? Because unless the spirit had poked, he was hesitating. He was reluctant. But now he knows better. And Cornelius tells Peter about his story. And Cornelius says this. This is, you know, Peter says, why am I here? Cornelius tells a story. And then Cornelius says, Peter, you know, we have gathered here to listen to you share whatever it is the Lord has commanded you to say. And verse 34 says, So Peter opened his mouth and he proclaimed the gospel message, right? God, people, Christ respond. The same message we heard in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 3, in Acts chapter 4 and 5 and 8 here Verses 34 to 43, God, people, Christ, respond. That's the gospel. God, our creator God, who shows no partiality, made this world beautiful and perfect. God, people, people broke it. 
all have sinned and fall short. All, every person of every race. This world is broken and we cannot fix it by ourselves. We look for political solutions. We look for educational solutions. We look for financial solutions. They don't work. And why? Because the solution is not from down below. The solution is from on high. And so from on high, God sent his son. God appointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power who came and who healed and who taught. And Peter says, and we're witnesses of this. We saw this. And verse 34 says, you did too. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. And then evil people put him on a cross and crucified him. But God raised him. And this God, the Father, said, Rise! And the risen King reigns. And he has commanded us to proclaim that he alone is the supreme judge of the universe. He alone is the Lord of all, all races, all tribes, all nations, all. And everyone, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. God, people, Christ. And as Peter was inhaling to get to talk about respond, he didn't even get to say respond when suddenly the scripture says in verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. As in Pentecost, even on the Gentiles, and Peter declared in verse 47, well, they've been immersed in the Holy Spirit now. How, how can anyone withhold water from them? Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And verse 48 says, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they ask him to remain for some days. Thanks be to God. Do you recall what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, 19? He said, Peter, I will give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, what do keys do? That's right, they unlock doors. And that's what's going on here. That's what Peter is doing. It's, it, it, it's, it's no accident that the conversion of Cornelius follows the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Saul was Jewish. Cornelius was Gentile. Saul was a scholar. Cornelius was a soldier. Saul was a bigot. Cornelius was a seeker. Both were converted at the initiative of God. Both received forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Both were baptized and welcomed to the church family on equal terms. And why? Because the gospel is the power of God for all who believe. The inclusion of all nations as the people of God is not the work of any man, even if they are apostles, but the work of God. And this story here, gets told in this account four times over. Did you, did you get that? But first the reader sees it happen, and then the reader 
follows the characters as they recount what had happened to them multiple times. So for a total of four times, this gets told. That's why this chapter's so long. That's important. Theophilus, who is the original recipient of the book of Acts. Theophilus is Roman himself. Theophilus, this elite Roman Christian whose name means beloved of God. Theophilus, do you, do you believe your name? Do you really believe that you matter to God? Do you really believe that God is no respecter of race? That he's the creator and God of all? And Theophilus, your first priority is reconciliation with God. And if you are reconciled to God, and I am reconciled to God, then in Christ we are one. One family, one church, one body. But Peter needed to be converted too, you know. He needed the person he thought would be the last person he would need to help him understand with clarity the will of God. And just as Peter needed Cornelius to clarify God's vision for his life, we need each other. We need each other's experiences and backgrounds. We need racial diversity and educational diversity and able-bodied, disabled-bodied diversity. We need social economic diversity to see and cherish God's vision of the life to come. The, the book of Acts is what's driving us to want our church to be as diverse as our community. And someone might say, well, that's uncomfortable. Well, clearly it is, as we can see from these verses. And Peter reveals how uncomfortable it is. God has to say, Pete, get off the roof, dude. Get uncomfortable. Get uncomfortable. I want you to look at this quote here. When you travel, remember that a foreign country is not designed to make you feel comfortable. It is designed to make its own people comfortable. That's an important quote. Because biblical Christianity teaches that we are strangers and aliens on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. So this world under the prince of the power of the air is not meant to make us comfortable. That's okay. We're an embassy of heaven. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let it be uncomfortable. What is this with Americans that we're just kind of like allergic to awkwardness? Well, let it be awkward. Mark Demas is a pastor of a church called Mosaic Church, a flourishing multi-ethnic church where men and women from 30 nations walk and work and worship God together. In Little Rock, Arkansas. And in the church he serves, the two leaders of the major political parties in state government are members. Separate political philosophies, but one in Christ. This is what he wrote. Mosaic is not a church focused on racial reconciliation, 
Rather, we are focused on reconciling men and women to God through faith in Jesus Christ and on reconciling ourselves collectively with the principles and practices of local churches as described in the New Testament. Do you see what he's saying? Vertical, horizontal. At Mosaic, therefore, we believe that when men and women of diverse backgrounds are one with God individually, they can and should walk together as one in and through the local church all for the sake of the gospel. Mark was here at Windsor Road a few weekends ago for our uh, elder uh, deacon staff retreat. It was a Friday night, Saturday through lunch, and he led a um, teaching time on the multi-ethnic church. And he left me with a book, um, and in that book he tells a story about a national conference on church planting Uh, that took place where he attended, and there was a session that was uh, led by a uh, nationally recognized pastor and author who spoke. And after the talk, the author took time for Q&A. And one of the questions to this nationally recognized pastor was this, what do you think about the multi-ethnic church? And here was the answer, I don't recommend it. It's just too difficult. People want to go to church with others who are like them, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mark DeMaz wrote, aren't you glad Jesus didn't approach kingdom building with that attitude? The cross? Well, that's just too difficult. Nowhere in the Bible do we get a pass on doing God's will because it's too difficult. Now, now, That nationally recognized pastor, whatever his name is, was right about one thing. It is difficult for man. But is anything too hard for God? Our job as church leaders is to align our will with the will of Christ. And it's about living a supernatural, beyond our own abilities life, allowing the glory of God to be seen and experienced through His church a church that reflects the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. That's our job. So here's the take-home. Here's the take-home for today, all right? Here's the take-home. The take-home is, it's repeated twice in Acts chapter 10. It's in verse 23, and it's in verse 48. Verse 23, so he invited them in to be his guests. Verse 48, then they asked him to remain for some days. You see, the take-home is hospitality. (laughs) See, it's not just about learning what the Bible says. It's about living what the Bible says. It's not just about learning theology. It's not just about religious discussions. It's about doing life. And so, so they're in each other's residences, and Peter's talking about his fishing life, and Cornelius is talking about his military life. And, you know, the apostle Paul spoke of this in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. We love you so much that we were delighted not only to share the gospel with you, but our lives, because you had become so dear to us. 
And so when you invite someone of another race over to your home, or when you go to the home of someone of another race as a guest, you know, you don't always just have to talk about race. You can talk about baseball. You can talk about hobbies. You can talk about your vacation plans. You can talk about sports. You can talk about life. You can talk about your favorite meals. You can talk about your, 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 just the glory of a, of a freshly prepared spring roll at your favorite Thai restaurant. And, and you can talk about your, your favorite burnt ends barbecue. It's, you can talk about that, that, that creamy melt in your mouth leaves a film on your tongue ice cream. You can talk about it. You can talk about the hole in one that you made on March 24th, 2004. It was a phenomenal. <laughs> you can talk about that. You can Talk, you can talk about where you went to school. You can talk about how you landed your first job. You can talk about the hard things too. We loved you so much. We were delighted not only to share the gospel with you, but with our lives because you'd become so dear to us. Gospel truth, gospel lives. And yeah, 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 it, it, you know, it's probably going to feel awkward at first. I, you know, yes, right. But a foreign country is not designed to make you feel comfortable. Our citizenship is in heaven. So you work through it. We work through it. But in order to work through it, here's what you have to do. And it's the big idea what I want you to get. If you don't get anything else, I'm going to say it and then I'm going to pray. Here it is. Get off the roof.